Welcome to the Hills Church Podcast. Hills Church is a four-square church in Laguna Hills, California. Visit us on the web at hillschurchoc.com. We are in this series called A Beautiful Mess. As we're walking through the book of Acts, last week Pastor Jeff spoke concerning Acts 2. When the Holy Spirit fell... And the way that God operated began to change. How? How did that event change all of history? Well, it's because finally heaven got inside of them and God was no longer speaking to people, but now he's beginning to speak through people. <laughs> and because of that, everything began to transition. But what happened after Acts 2 gets a little bit crazy. Because what happens when God begins to speak through people and doesn't just speak for himself? everybody's got an opinion now. Everybody's got something to say, right? It becomes chaotic because everybody wants to say something to somebody or some reason. Are we going to use that instead? (laughs) It always is something. Better. Amen. Now I got that authority of God. We got that African preaching today. Amen. I miss Kenya though. But back to where we were is that when God begins to now start speaking through people, it becomes very chaotic because everybody has something to say. I mean, just go on Facebook. You see so many posts every day of something that someone has to say, whether it's good or bad, and it gets so chaotic and sometimes it just gets annoying. But honestly, Those are the things that make it a little messy sometimes. That's what we call it a beautiful mess. I mean, have you even been to like a family like reunion? Like it is like the most beautiful thing in the world, but it also can be the most messiest thing in the world. Because as soon as you get the family together, it's great to see everybody. But all of a sudden, when somebody says that one little thing, you know what I'm talking about. There's an explosion that happens. But even in those moments, a beautiful mess begins to take place. And even in our own lives, all those kinds of moments, that little messiness is actually something that we don't really expect. You know, I think of my life as someone that likes to plan. I'm a huge planner. Is anyone else like a planner? Like they got to do every single minute of the day. Like you got to schedule everything accordingly. Only like three people? Dang, okay, there we go. I was like, I can't be the only one. Like seriously, all you spontaneous weirdos. But for all the things, we continue to plan everything out the way we wanted to accordingly. And most of this, most of what I've learned in planning schedules is that when that does happen, it never goes the way I want it to, unfortunately. Whether it is good or bad, there's sometimes that it can be good to where maybe I'm just at home by myself and I just, maybe on my calendar, right, plan to watch TV for this hour, but then I get a knock on the door and someone that I haven't seen in a while. I'll make that time to go visit them. But then it can also be bad times where... Red wax can spill on the carpet. You know what I'm talking about, ladies. You got to clean that up. And especially if you're white carpet, you might as well just fast. (laughs) But those are the things that become so unexpected. And no matter where we go or what we do, we cannot plan for what will happen in any event or any circumstance because we end up starting to have with nothing. You can't plan for anything. You can't expect this to happen on this day. And then when that does happen, what do you have? Well, we look 
in the book of Acts, as we're continuing on, you're going to notice that there's a lot of unexpected things that happen to the disciples as we continue on in the next two chapters, through chapter 3 and through chapter 4. And this first one, if I can go ahead, I've never used this either, so give me some grace. There we go. In this first chapter, in chapter 3, after the Holy Spirit fell and created this dunamis power of God, they kind of went back into just like the old way of lifestyle. In the first chapter of chapter 3, we see Peter and John going back, walking to the temple. And they're just doing their daily Jewish customs, the things that they are called to do, as it says. And it goes on, when Peter encounters a man that is homeless, this is what happens. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Oh, sorry, I forgot this. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Can I get a hallelujah on that? Hallelujah. So what happened in this just amazing moment that changed pretty much the church history from there on was this was in the midst of a regular day when they had nothing. All they were just planning on doing was doing their culture custom as what we do, whether it be going to work, whether it be going to church, whether it be going to our job. They were just doing something out of just something they normally do out of their everyday life. And what ended up happening is that there's an interruption that happened in their midst. There's a lame man right in front of the temple gates. Think about how many times, at least for me, when I walk through Walmart all the time, there are homeless people all the time over there. There's always an interruption in where I'm trying to get to somewhere or if that, where I'm trying to get into my plan. So there's a lame man at, this, at their way. He was in their way. And so what ended up happening was the unexpected because... The man looks at Peter and John. And like, have you ever got the most uncomfortable situation when you cross eyes with somebody, especially when it does involve someone being homeless? Like you can't help but do something about that. Even just for a sick person, for anything, any kind of eye contact is the most awkward and uncomfortable, but it communicates so much more than just by words alone. And so at that moment, Peter had to make a choice. He either can look at that man, go into that uncomfortable situation, just look at him and walk back to what he was doing and what he originally planned to do, which was to go to the temple. Or he was going to do something about it because God set that in front of him for a reason. That's what we're called to do. When we walk through our daily uh, jobs or to our homes or to our certain plans that we have out throughout, throughout the day, there's always something that is in front of us that comes unexpected that we don't plan for. And we have to trust Jesus that he's going to do something about it. Because we can't look to ourselves. So what ended up having, what did Peter have to do? He had to have the denial of self. For Peter and John put their priority in this man rather than their own schedule. For me, that's the hardest thing because when it comes to my schedule, what it really only says about me is that it's just about me and my plans and my duties. I don't need to worry about anybody else's things. That's what our plans tell you about us. But Peter had to deny the work schedule that he had. He had to quit from going to the temple. He had to quit or kind of change his whole approach 
to how he's going to respond to this man. And not just that, but whatever's going to happen to this man after might have changed the rest of his day. Is that something that we're all willing to sacrifice when it comes to sharing Jesus with people? And Peter decided to say yes to that. And Peter acknowledges this work of Jesus Christ, right? The man got healed. Something happened. So now you see this crazy movement of God where people actually seen a man get raised up by the hands of Peter, and people are wondering what is going on here. If we go to the next verse in Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 16, it really is talking about once this man is raised up, people are shouting and screaming and like going, what the heck is going on? I want to know who Jesus is. What happened? Why is this man standing when he was been lame for most of his life? Well, Peter starts to stand up at his church. And he begins to preach and tell them that this is only done by Jesus Christ. The importance is that we now need to have Jesus in our lives. We need to acknowledge that it's about having Jesus. And let's go ahead and read in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 3, 15 through 16. And it says, To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name. Can we say that? All together. By faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. It's about Jesus, having him. It's all about having Jesus. Because now, when it comes to having Jesus, guess what will happen in your life? The plan has changed. The course that you go to, the way you live your life, the way you plan your schedule, all of that will always get changed because Jesus is always in front of you first. He's creating your path for you. You no longer, you no longer create your own. And so now what began to just be a quick Jewish custom thing, this religious thing that Peter would do, well, now he's actually up on here trying to preach Jesus to tell these people that he's real and alive and working. Something changed. And something is moving and Peter is stirring up to tell him that it's about Jesus. It's about who he is. And people are responding to what has happened. You see, when people get touched by God in the supernatural way, what will begin to happen is there's a certain response to people to ask, Why? What happened? What did you do to me? There's a certain response that people are looking at to know what has happened. What did you have to make me be healed? And it is. What it says on the bottom, the secret is Jesus. We look, again, it's not about just having the healing. Because guess what? Peter couldn't heal that man alone. There's no way that he could. The only man who can heal is Jesus. Amen? Even in our four square gospel, it's Jesus Christ, the healer. The healer. Only him who heals. And when people begin to acknowledge that it's Jesus who heals, then people begin to respond because guess what? If someone gets healed and you're a Christian, but you say it's by God alone, that can be misinterpreted to many wrong ways because there's many gods out there that they might not understand who you're talking about. Because there's not just God of Jesus, that's Jesus Christ. There's Allah. There's all the Hinduism. There's Buddhism. All these different gods. And people can interpret which one they want to receive. They can even create our own God for themselves. It's important that we acknowledge that once the work of Christ has been activated, that you acknowledge that he was the one who did it in the first place. 
Notice that when Jesus, when Peter says that it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what he's really saying is that when it says of a place in that time of culture, it really means identification of someone because there's also many Jesuses around at his time. Jesus wasn't the only name. So he had to say Jesus Christ of Nazareth so the people can identify that that was the man who was hung on the Christ, who was hung on the cross. His name was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So we got to make sure that in having Jesus, we acknowledge the name of Christ. We acknowledge Jesus as the one who deserves all the honor and the glory because without it, you're only just walking as someone else, as your own kind of God, and people will end up worshiping you rather than him. So it's always, it's always, it's always, I don't know how many times, this is probably the most foundational part of the message is about us having Jesus because if you don't have him, you have nothing at all. And you'll just continue to have nothing. And then we continue on seeing like just the disciples just running after Jesus and seeing these things happen. And what ends up happening is that now something is actually beginning to birth. Not just the name of Jesus, not just the healing of Jesus, but now the gospel. We go ahead onto the next slide. We go even deeper into the book of Acts in chapter 3, in verse 19 to 20. He says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring at all things, which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And then he continues on later in that, uh, in those couple of next verses that he's talking about. It's the God, it's the Hebrew God, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's continuing to acknowledge that this was the things that was planned beforehand. This was the things that were planned and prophesied about. And it's happening now. So he's acknowledging that this is the gospel. This is what people have been waiting for for over 2,000 years when they received the message that there's a Messiah coming. Now they're actually waiting for something to happen. And finally, the message comes out. And this message has been the same throughout the Old Testament of repent and put your faith in God. Now it's actually being revealed and the veil's being torn off saying, repent to God that Jesus may forgive your sins out. And not just that they be forgiven, but they be blotted out forever. They'd be blotted out forever and nothing will be held accountable of. The hardest thing when it comes to sharing the gospel with people is not when you get to the part of healing or of whatever supernatural gift that may occur. It's not the hardest part about even telling people about Jesus. The hardest part of sharing Jesus is this exact part, the sharing of the gospel. Because the scariest thing to tell people is once they receive all the goody feelings of the, gospel, of the truth is that now you have to repent and trust God with your life. It's hard to preach on repentance sometimes because that's not a lot of things that people want to hear. And it gets scary. Trust me, when I try to share the gospel with people, once I go into repentance, they blot their ears out most of the time. Because it's a scary thought now that you have to literally trust Jesus with your life and turn your own ways to live for him. But that's the point of sharing the gospel. It's that people may repent. It's not a fact of just trying to humble yourself or make them repent but it's trying to transform them that there's something actually greater that they can be emptied out of their sins completely so they can live up to the full identity in Christ that they were meant and created to be. 
It's about the gospel. It's about having the gospel with us. And what ends up happening is that when you share these things, it just becomes an unexpected message. People aren't looking for preaching all around. But when Jesus begins to do a work, you're going to need to get your preaching belt on. You're going to need your microphone a little bit. And you're going to have to share the truth about Jesus, what he's done for you, and what he's called us to do, and what he's asking the world to do, which is just to repent, not because he just wants to force humility on humankind, but he wants to be able to, in his richness and mercy and grace, to forgive mankind. That's the whole reason why we come into repentance, and that people can have hope in something again, and that they can live a transformed life. Because we have to speak the message of truth. And we must always be prepared to share the truth, no matter what day or time it is. We need to have that truth rooted into our very being. I want to say even DNA. We need to have that truth in us. we got to continue to let that gift out to everybody that needs to hear the truth. Because people are looking. Because Peter doesn't preach to the people, but he preaches it unto God. That's why he's able to preach this gospel. Because he's not looking to win a crowd. He's not looking to win people over. He's just preaching only because he's had that intimate relationship with Jesus to where now he's able to foresay the truth without any worry or fear. We got to come into a place of unexpectedness that we don't have to fear because we just live only under the protection and authority of the God, the one who sits on the throne in heaven and on earth. It's, we have to share the gospel. Now we're going to get into some deeper stuff here in chapter 4. Because in chapter 4, now, after preaching the gospel, things kind of go real fast. Because now people are going to respond to this message. And as we see in this next chapter, in chapter 4, 5,000 actually do get saved. And it's amazing to see that happen. People are turning to Christ left and right, just wanting to know more of him. But then there are some that are kind of like, mm, that's not for me. And so as it says in Acts 1 through 2, it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people, proclaiming Jesus Proclaiming Jesus that he's been resurrected from the dead. So now people are kind of getting a little fussy about what's happening. And hold on, I just lost my notes for a second. There we go. People are getting a little fussy about that. And so Peter and John end up getting arrested by these Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're questioning them. What, what did you do? How did you do this? And in Peter's wisdom, you wouldn't really know what to say. People say, who is God? Would you really know what to say? When people ask, well, where is God? What is love? All these kind of really hard questions to ask, and you don't really know what to say. Well, that's what these Sadducees and Pharisees are asking, these really awkward and really hard questions to say. But then, in the next, uh, later in the paragraph, it says, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, let's all say together, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And as it goes on, he just talks about how um, 
how this man was healed through Christ. You can read it on in your notes or in your own Bible. But he begins to share the truth about Jesus and how this man was healed. And there's something that is being restored. And that he's, again, preaching the gospel to these Pharisees and Sadducees. And you see this authority that Peter has in front of these men of the law. These men who have studied the religious rules since probably maybe when they were 12 years old. All the way up. So these men know a lot. And all that Peter was is just a little fisherman who only spent three years with Jesus. So he got 30 years in law, in uh, uh, religious school, three years with Jesus. Who's going to know a little bit more? Right? It's going to be Peter. And what we see and the people, when Peter responds to this, people are astounded to say, how in the world would these three men know this much when they're only uneducated fishermen? Right? And how does that actually happen? How do we begin to come into that richness? Does it involve us taking all the study Bibles in the world to look at every single little detail of the truth? Does it involve just t- taking time in our prayer time? Does it take time in everything that we do with Jesus to become this? Do we have to go to school for these just to become this great religious philosopher of who Jesus and God is? The simple truth is that it's just, it's all about being filled. It's just about being filled. You know, Peter and John are not capable, again, to do any of those things. He's not able, he's not able to heal. I guarantee that Peter was not, the best, was not capable to preach in front of all those people. And I guarantee that he was not capable of standing in front of religious scholars and answering these questions. But it's because he had the Holy Spirit And it was the Holy Spirit that began to speak through them. You know, the idea of this word filled, we think of just like, you know, you just continue to be filled and filled and filled and filled, just like a waterfall, just pouring into a lake. It's just constantly being filled. But in fact, the actual Greek word, plesius, is the meaning of like the the full brim, the maximum capacity. So like this water, it's not just down here. It's not even a quarter. It's not even like the almost mark. It's to the very top. To where if you like shake it or move it or turn it, it'll start spilling. It's to the very brim that they are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Means that really what the Holy Spirit is, is not just some other kind of deity or mind of its own. But it really is the complete full spirit of Jesus. So in simple terms, it's Jesus speaking through them. The Holy Spirit is just the spirit of Jesus. That's all that he is. And what begins to happen is that when Peter begins to speak in response to these Pharisees, a different Peter begins to come out. And it's not the Peter that we know of, the one that had the wisdom of man that would say, no, Jesus, you can't do this. And Jesus responded saying, you think like a man and don't think like God. Well, now Peter's starting to think like God. Why? Because he's been with Jesus. Because when we notice that when Peter speaks, his common dialect is similar to Jesus. When we see and when we watch and when we listen to Jesus, we begin to be fully like him. In every single thing that we do, we begin to respond in the way that he responds. We begin to love the way that he loves. We get to see the miracles the way that he got to see miracles. And it comes to being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And once you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, then that means the Spirit of Jesus now has rested upon you, that you are the anointed one, and that you now can walk in the way that he walked. And you can look exactly like him. And when people will look at you, they'll say, why are you so different? Because you don't look like you're from this earth. Because you look like someone that has seen truth. 
That's the power of having Jesus. And we need, we are full to the maximum brim of having received the very richness of the Holy Spirit. Now this next one uh, that I'm going to talk about, what we need to have. We've talked about having nothing, having Jesus, having the gospel, and uh, having the Holy Spirit. Now, for a lot of Christians, this is probably the least favorite, because now it's not just about having all the good things, but there's also having persecution or adversity against you. I know it really got quiet there, like persecution, ooh. But as we read along in Acts 4, 18 through 20, after they had a conversation with some of the Pharisees, this is what they said. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right, hold on, let me make sure, okay. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And then the next couple of uh, verses, it says that they continued to fully threaten them to keep shut from sharing the gospel, to sharing Jesus. You know, I'm going to just be honest that when you share Jesus, you're going to have your high moments and you're going to have your low moments. Because sometimes the truth hurts. It does. People don't like truth all the time. And not everyone's going to receive the message. Maybe just not in the present, maybe in the future, but when you're speaking, you're going to have those people that are going to receive it, and then you're going to have those people that don't even care what you're even talking about. Sorry. It's not a Christianity. It's not about pleasing people. It's about preaching truth. And the thing is, what kind of scares at least... At least what's kind of funny to say is within the Orange County culture or the California or first world culture is that we decide to keep silent just because it's, we don't want to offend anybody, but we can't keep quiet for those who don't want to hear because there are people out there that are waiting to hear, right? People are waiting to hear this message and we can't be quiet just because there's other people that don't want to hear. And it's hard. It is hard. Because our world is so performance-driven to where that your success rate is based on how many people will get saved. Your life is based on how many people will get touched by God. And if that's how you base your life, then that is more or less the kingdom of Satan rather than it is the kingdom of God. Because we can see that Jesus didn't care who responded to his message. You can go to different cities. He went to different cities, and people loved him in one city, and they wanted to throw him off the cliff on the next. Jesus did amazing miracles at one point. There are times in the city where he couldn't barely do any miracles. Jesus makes a response into that, because the adversity is being part of a Christ follower. It's all about walking with Jesus and being like him, and being like him in his glory state, you'll also be with him in his suffering state. The message, uh, the message version in Matthew 10, 21, uh, makes a very unique statement when Jesus is talking to his disciples about, what, what, about being what a Christ follower is all about. Not all about, but what it's like. 
and what they can expect when they go out and begin to look like Jesus himself. He says, when people realize it is the living God you are presenting and not some false idol that makes them feel good, they are going to turn on you, even people in your own family. There's a great irony here, proclaiming so much love, experiencing so much hate, but don't quit. Don't cave in. It is all wealth worth it in the end. It is not success you are after in such times, but it's survival. Be survivors. Before you run out of options, the Son of Man will arrive on the scene. A student doesn't get a better desk than his teacher. A laborer doesn't get, make more money than his boss. Be content, pleased, even when you, my students, my harvest hands, will get the same treatment I get. If they call me the master dung face, what will my workers get? Jesus was hung on a cross. The disciples, at least 11 out of 12 of them, died. What are you going to expect? Jesus had one good year. Second was okay. Third year, he was that cursed man on a tree. What are we going to face? We're going to have good times. I'm going to promise you that. And there's going to be bad times. But I'm going to promise you this, that there is a hope too. That it's not all about this persecution. Because there's a transformation that begins to happen in the midst of persecution. Because what it really begins to bring out is that it's a sign that you're doing something right. If you don't have adversity against you, then you're probably not doing something right. At least I feel like that sometimes. I mean, think about it. Throughout history, you can see that when it comes to a people group or something that is like directly persecuted against, notice that that group becomes particularly stronger, right? I mean, look at the first church in the book of Acts. We're going to read later on in this series from Acts 5 all the way to the very end that there's more persecution and pain and suffering than there is the miracles that we read in Acts. Yikes. But that's the life of a Christian, is that at least it shows that we're doing something right, because you know what ended up happening in all that midst of persecution? Is that the church only began to get stronger and stronger, and it only multiplied more and more, because people actually believed and saw that this was actually worth fighting for. When there's no persecution, then it ends up just becoming a daily thing that's accustomed to everything else in this world. But when there's persecution, and people are actually standing up for something that they see that people are fighting for and believe in, then it makes something very real. Many churches in China, as you see, many of them are underground. I read a book called The Heavenly Man by Brother Yoon. Recommend it if you want to know about the persecuted church down there. And you see the suffering of these people and the diligence of these people because they believe in something, no matter what the cost it takes, for they have read the whole Bible and memorized it by their minds. They've gone to jail and suffered to preach the gospel, and you see it continuously drive and drive and drive, and they're willing to preach the gospel to the day of death, but yet in America, we're so afraid to preach the gospel because we don't want to be rejected by people. What are we living for? Are we living for acceptance by people? Or are we living acceptance by God? Because when you live in acceptance by God, there's nothing you need to worry about. There's nothing I need to worry about. For what can man do to me? Nothing. Man can't do anything to me. Be afraid of the one who can cast your soul into hell. But don't be afraid of man. 
Love God. Love who he is. Dwell in his presence. And you got nothing to fear because fear has no hold on you. And that's the beauty because when persecution comes, the best part about this is that you're not doing it alone. You're not doing it alone. In the next chapter, in, or not in the next chapter, in the next verse, in chapter 4, we see that Peter and John finally leave uh, the meeting with the Pharisees and Sadducees after they were threatened and everything that's been happening. And they tell them, like, look, this guy got healed. And they're preaching about Jesus. And then we're preaching the gospel. And then all of a sudden, that, uh, these Sadducees and Pharisees got really mad at us. So they took him to another place. Then we started getting hurt and beaten. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came. And we spoke something. And then they, got, they freaked out. And then we walked out. And we were like, yeah, Jesus. And we walk in. And guess what? We might get persecuted. No? Come on, church. Give me like a woo. But the way that the Church of Acts, so the Church of Jerusalem in the book of Acts responds to this is very influential. And I think this is something that our church and probably even for all the churches around the world need to come into this mindset. As it says this, they begin to come in together and they gather their hands together and be surrounded with one another. And they preach, they begin to quote Psalms 2. Why do the people rage and the pe- why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain for the son of sorry I can't remember that verse completely I just remember that part for the kings of the earth themselves the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed for truly the city they were gathered today was against your holy servant Jesus who we have anoint- who you have anointed and after they quote that scripture together as a church they began to say this and let's all say it together actually And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We are not meant to do this alone. Notice that once the believers saw that was happening and they saw their fellow brother or sister in trouble, they gathered together and began to pray for just a stronger boldness. They didn't pray for the persecution to go away. They didn't pray for the hate to go away. They asked for something stronger. They asked for greater boldness. Because God does things to his church. God made a promise in Matthew 16 through 18 that the gates of hell on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The church is not going to be defeated by hell because Jesus already made the statement that he has already taken the keys. He's building his church and that gates of Hades will not prevail. But in fact, I won't just let it prevail, but I'm going to give you the keys that whatever you may bound, may be bound in heaven, whatever you loose may be loosed in heaven. That's the beauty of Christ because we have this boldness to reach and trust Jesus in every situation. And it comes in this boldness that we need to preach the gospel with boldness. It's not just about this lukewarm Christianity lifestyle that we continue to live by. But it's like, how do we preach with this boldness? Like, where does it come from? Does it just supernaturally? Does it just like, do have to work on it? Well, it's when we no longer care about people's opinion. If you want to go next slide. It's when we no longer care about people's opinion. 
and we already have our uh, and we already have hope and acceptance by the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, because it's about having boldness that keeps us from freedom of fear. And when you spend that intimacy time with Jesus, then that fear and of having nothing begins to come and abound in everything through Jesus.